0: Well, our our scripture this morning comes from kind of a a large, or the message was going to come from two big chapters in John, John chapter 18 and and 19. I'm just going to read a few verses there uh, to get us started in this place. We've been in John for a while, um, studying, growing, hopefully, and and I want to, to read John 18, beginning with verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Feels like kind of a big question, doesn't it? What is truth? Well, good luck, but we're gonna try to tackle that one a little bit this morning. Well, these these days, I'm a little bit ashamed to actually admit it, Um, but I I'm a big Woody Allen fan. I love Woody Allen. Uh, Not maybe his uh, lifestyle choices, okay, or maybe some of his philosophical underpinnings, but I love his films, okay. I'm 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 I'm, much to Kelly's regret. I make her watch them all uh, with me. And first off, I mean, I just, I just think he's brilliant. Um, you think about a guy who's been making films for 50 years, right, as the producer, writer, director, and sometimes the star of these things. I mean, it's incredibly talented. He's, he's hilarious. He's got to be one of the most cynical people on the planet. Um, but I think what, what draws me in most to his films is how he inserts his worldview so overtly in pretty much all of them. I mean, each one is like its own little, you know, sermon, right, to his own sort of ideals and, and lifestyle and, and view of, of, of reality. And, and I mean, sure, they're probably offensive, okay, just a warning, so if you are looking for a family film, um, maybe don't go scrolling through the Woody Allen section, all right? And yet one of his more overt films, of the more recent ones at least, is the film Whatever Works, starring Larry David. And the big idea of this story is basically: do whatever works in this miserable world to make yourself just a little bit less miserable. Let's take a look. Okay, I'm not a likable guy. Checkmate, you little putzer. Hey, I was considered for a Nobel Prize in physics. I didn't get it. Mom, that means talking to himself. Come on, Justin. This is not the feel-good movie of the year. So if you're one of those idiots who needs to feel good, go get yourself a foot massage. What's the matter, Boris? I'm I'm dying. Should I call Uh, an ambulance? No, no, not now. I, I mean, eventually. I said, Lord, just say something. Break your silence. I can't take any more misery. Nothing, right? And all that money you put in the tin box every Sunday. People make life so much worse than it has to be. But on the whole, we're a failed species. Forrest, do you want to be buried or cremated? All right, I really I really don't want to talk about that, I okay? I think I want to be cremated. All right, we could just shut up, creeps There's No worms. Daddy? I've come to beg your mother's forgiveness. You cheated on her and then dumped her for her best friend. Lord, I've sinned. Please forgive me. Why, why, why do all the religious psychotics wind up praying at my doorstep? Love you can get and give, whatever happiness you can provide, every temporary measure of grace, whatever works. Okay, so it's, it's pretty cheery, right? Um, a little, a little. Well, maybe not. Uh, that's that's kind of how his, his movies are, right? They both are sometimes funny and sometimes just painful, right? And this, this sort of look of reality. I don't know if you caught the last, the last line of the trailer there, but it's really one of the last lines of the film, where, where the, the main character, Larry David, who's sort of, honestly, I mean, he's playing Woody Allen, On really. I mean, if you understand the kind of the, the story, what's going on, it's a little bit autobiographical. And he turns to the camera, uh, which is always a little bit surreal, and he says that very interesting line. He says, "'Whatever love you can get and give, whatever happiness you can filch or provide,' Every temporary measure of grace, whatever works. And man, at this point, it'd be so easy to just sort of like throw Woody Allen right under the bus, right? I mean, because he has, he has lived out his relativism with gusto, hasn't he? Or, or, or you might see that, you just think, you know, boo Hollywood, right? Or some nonsense like that. Please. Come on. Are you telling me you don't have the same philosophy of life? Really? Whatever works, whatever whatever makes me happy. I mean, sure, I may may color it with a facade of good works, right? Or or church attendance or or nice Jesus-y slogans. But at the end of the day, I want to do what I want to do. I want a world without boundaries, one in which I am in control of everything in my little realm, right? Where whatever works actually works. I want to be free, it's the idea of, of relativism, whatever works, right? Rel- relativism is, is sort of the, the belief that, um, that truth and as a result, any sense of right and wrong are relative, right? They're flexible. And so if something's true for you, it must work. And if, if it doesn't work for you, then it's not true for you and it doesn't really matter all that much, right? It's, truth is all sort of local and, and, and personal rather than absolute. And this, this kind of thinking, understandably, makes Christians a little bit... Nervous. The trouble is, I'm just not convinced we're all that different. I mean, I'm not, I'm not convinced I'm all that different than Woody Allen. Or from Pilate, for that matter. Because both, both those guys, they, they reject any, any sense of, of truth, right? Of concrete absolutes. And they look so free, don't they? I mean, just like... Elsa, in the movie Frozen. You know where I'm going, right? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm, yes, yes. You want to, you want to sing some more? You want to go? For, uh, well, okay, maybe not. Maybe we'll skip that. Thanks, TJ, um, for offering. I mean, the reality is, rejecting truth feels like freedom, doesn't it? But here's the deal: there are lots of ways to be enslaved. There's only one way to be set free. There are plenty of ways to be a slave, but there are only, there's only one way to be set free. Ugh, and Pilate. I mean, don't you kind of feel for this guy? I mean, maybe not. Maybe you just sort of look at him as kind of the, the ultimate villain here in this story. But I, I feel for him. I mean, this this one moment, his story, you realize this, right? His story has been told to hundreds of millions of people for 2,000 years in every place of the planet. And he is remembered for one thing. Oh, yeah, he's the guy who crucified Jesus. Oops. And if anybody should be free, right? It's somebody with this kind of power. The, The wealth, the prestige, the respect that he has is unprecedented. And yet we're going to see in this story that he is actually a slave. You can follow along in the story if you want to. We're in in John 18 and 19. uh, And we're simply going to try to answer Pilate's question for him. What is truth? What is it? Well, I see three things this morning in in the story. First, truth is freedom from the enslaving opinion of others. Truth is freedom from being your own highest authority. And truth is freedom from the abuse of power. So, yeah. What is truth? It's a good question, isn't it? It kind of makes your mind hurt if you think about it, doesn't it? It's just like, what, what is it? I mean, if somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't believe in truth, I mean, ask them if they believe that's true, right? Uh, or or even, if, even if they say, you know, I, we just can't know if there's anything that's really true. Well, how do you know you can't know, Right? I right? mean, it's, it's, it's too hard for us to think about, isn't it? I mean, nowadays, the only absolute truth is the absolute truth that there is no absolute truth. And I say that, and I feel like I'm having a stroke, right? I mean, truth, truth if anything, nowadays, it's, it is, it's relative. It's local, it's individual, it's personal. Uh, it's, it's whatever works for you and whatever works for me, and it's, it's all just sort of fine and, and good. But picture the story, right? It's early Friday morning. And at this point in the story, Jesus has already been betrayed, abandoned, and denied, and that was by his closest friends. And here he is on trial, and Jesus, he knows that this trial is is headed in one direction only, leading to nothing but his crucifixion. He knows where it's going. And the one person in this story with the earthly power to do anything about it, literally washes his hands of him. And Pilate, I mean, he's a pretty important dude, okay, in that day. He was appointed to be the governor of the whole region of Judea by Emperor Tiberius. And so he's a Roman, and he has absolute power over the Jews. Now, there's a scene of this in the Passion of the Christ. And I think it helps us to imagine what's happening in this story if we, if we see it, if we see the irony of what's going on. So let's, let's watch this. It follows the text almost of John almost exactly. Okay, so to see it is, is so powerful, at least, at least for me. Because um, I, I think when we, when we read it, uh, we miss some of the irony, right? If we're not using our imagination, sort of cued into what's happening here. I mean, just think about this. It's shocking that here is Pilate, right, who looks like he's got everything together. He's, he's in control. He's powerful. He's respected, wealthy. He's got it all. And he's asking the bloodied and beaten Jewish carpenter if he's a king. I mean, could anybody look less like a king? And yet the reader knows that, that at least according to John, you may not agree with John. John is the guy writing these words, right? He's an eyewitness of these things. You may not believe what he says. But at least according to John, right, his opinion is that Jesus isn't just a king. He's Pilate's king. He's your king, my king. He is the king, the one ruler of, of all. And John believes that. And, and I love how he paints the, the picture, sort of the irony of what's going on here. Um, and Jesus, and how he responds, in my opinion, he's either the most uh, self-centered, narcissistic person to ever live, um, or he's actually who he claims to be. Because look what, look what Jesus says. He says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And just a couple chapters earlier, Jesus claimed to be the very embodiment of truth. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and Pilate responds, what is truth? And then he, he walks off. He's not really interested in Jesus' answer to his question. I mean, for Pilate, truth is the power that he possesses right? Pretty clear in the story. His highest level of truth is power. But nonetheless, I mean, Pilate, I mean, he's a decent guy. He, he does, even in this sort of truthless empire, he tries to get Jesus off the hook, doesn't he? And, and so he goes back to the crowds and he says, you know, I find no guilt in him. He's innocent. We can't, crucif- we can't crucify him. He's innocent. And the crowds, they don't, they don't like that. So, so Pilate, he, he tries to, to, to bargain with them, he says well how about how about this okay we have this custom it's the passover and, and this is true they, w- they would do this the romans would let one uh of the more popular prisoners jewish prisoners free to celebrate the, the passover it's kind of like a you know a little a little present to them or whatever so who do, who do you want do you want barabbas the the violent insurrectionist and Pilate? i mean he's obviously that's of course, of course they're not gonna want him right barabbas is the worst or do you want Jesus, right? The, the miracle worker, you know, the, the, this teacher, he's done all these things. Uh, and and Pil- I, I'm convinced Pilate knows exactly what they're going to say, and he's just completely wrong, right? They're like, no, we want, we want Barabbas, free him, crucify Jesus. That didn't work. And, and so then he tries to compromise with the crowds. So he takes Jesus out, and he has Jesus mercilessly beaten and tortured, right? Crown of thorns shoved into his skull, mocked in, in that moment, and then paraded out in front of the crowds, and once again says, I find no guilt in him. Three times in John's account of this story, Pilate declares his innocence with those words. I find no guilt in him. The crowds, they respond, crucify him. I mean, come on, Pilate. You can't be a friend of Caesar and be okay with this Jesus calling himself a king. And so, Pilate crucifies him. This man that he knows to be innocent. But hey, whatever works, right? So what is truth, Pilate? Truth is freedom from the enslaving opinion of others. Only something true, something right, can set us free from the expectations of other people in our life, from the voices that, that we hear. I mean, Pilate, right? He's powerful. If anybody should be in control, it's him. And yet, without truth, who's in charge in this story? I mean, there's crowds that are calling the shots, right? The, the peasant people around him are calling, Pilate is anything but free in this story. And you see, without truth, all we have is the loudest voices of the people around us. That's it. And so if you, if you consider yourself to be a relativist, or honestly, even if you don't, I mean, the reality is, in a, in a world like ours, all of us, to some extent, deal with this intimately, right? We have, live in a pluralistic world, right? Where we, we feel the, the intrigue of sort of a flexible view of truth and morality. We're all, every one of us is drawn into that. But, but for some of us, maybe, maybe you hold more, more closely this idea of relativism. And if, that, if that's you, it's not that you don't have a code for right and wrong. I mean, of course you do, right? Everybody's got some sort of code. It's that your code is at the mercy of the loudest voices in your life, whoever they are. Today it says this, but what's the crowd going to say tomorrow? And truthfully, I, I don't like crowds. I mean, crowds just kind of freak me out, okay? Anytime I'm in a crowd, I'm always the guy like who's, who's trying to get as far away over to the edge as, as humanly, humanly possible. I mean, crowds do unpredictable things. I mean, think about even and think about the riot right if if the royals win the world series right it's going to be it's going to be crazy crowds are ridiculous and, and you know it made me think of my my one of my favorite demotivational posters i love this meetings none of us is as dumb as all of us <laughs> and you know it's true right there's something about the collective stupidity when we're in large groups right the the way crowds and mobs and uh, it's it gets messy and i'm i'm not poking fun i'm one of them right this is, this, is the way, this is the way it is. And the reality is, our world is rapidly changing. And kids, students, um, I have no doubt that you face more of these challenges than, than any of us in this room. And it's easy to see what's happening and the flexibility in what's going on and think, yes, this is where freedom is. This is where I can be and the people around me can be free. But what happens when the crowd changes its mind? And who's to say that the crowd is right in the first place? I mean, for example, there are places in the world today, and the more extreme uh, Islamic nations that say, and this is, this is the very, very extreme portions would say that uh, you know, women have no rights. Right? Women are treated as, as slaves in their own homes. They, they can't be educated, own property, make uh, meaningful relationships, and in some places they can be killed if they step out of line. And the loudest voices, the loudest crowds in those places say, that's the way it ought to be. That's the way it should be. Hey, whatever works, right? Wait, what? No. I mean, everybody, right? Every one of us in this room thinks about a culture like that, and we're outraged morally. We cannot stand to think, how could anybody treat another human being so despicably? But why? Why? I mean, the reality is if you take truth out of the equation, the only reason you can give for that being wrong is because your crowds say it's wrong and your crowds are smarter. Because, you know, we're educated, wealthy, and from the West. Anybody else a little nervous about that? I mean, do we really want to to base our our morality and our lifestyle choices on something so flexible? Or, Or another example, our 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 loudest crowds have said that um, there are no sexual rules anymore. You know, except the rule that it's got to be consenting adults. Um, We still hold on to that one for a while. Um, But there's, there's no rules, essentially, sexually. And as a result of our freedom, if you look around, I mean, statistically speaking, we have more abandoned children in our culture than ever before. But hey, whatever works. There are lots of ways to be a slave. There's only one way to be set free. And Jesus says to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And, and even as, as Jesus said just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 8, he said the truth will set you free. But you know, that's not Pilate's only problem. It's a big one, right, the crowds, and we see that on display very clearly in the story, but that's, that's not it. What is truth? Truth is also freedom from being your own authority. You know, I say those words, and I even as I hear them come out of my mouth, it's like, really, that's freedom? Because if you're anything like me, that's like the highest ideal, right, is your own authority to be in charge, to have enough freedom and autonomy, to make your own decisions, to charge your own course. I mean, that, that sounds like the good life to me what about in this story? Because you see, before Jesus gets murdered by Pilate, uh, they have another chat. They get into a room together, and and Pilate says to him, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Which is absolutely true. Yeah, sure, Pilate is a slave to the crowds. Uh, And yet, in a culture like that, with power like his, he's accountable almost to no one. In verse 11, Jesus answers him. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. It's like, oh come on, Pilate. You don't really think you're in charge of the situation, do you? And, and Pilate, sadly, he he misses it there in that in that moment. He has no idea the freedom that is offered to him in that, in that, in that statement. And let me say it again, and this, this is hard. This is hard for me to say this, but I believe that it's true. True freedom is found in letting someone better call the shots, right? It's hard to even get those words out, Well let, let me give a couple examples of this. Uh, one is, is from psychologist Barry Schwartz. He's the author of the book, The Paradox of Choice. There's a TED talk on it if you want to um, watch it. You can, you can Google that if you're interested. Um, but he argues in this book that one of the reasons uh, Americans uh, tend to be the, some of the least happy people is because we have so many choices now. And so part of his, part of his argument is that we have freedom and autonomy uh, that is unprecedented, really, in the history of the human race. And as a result, we are more responsible than ever before for our own happiness, right? Because we have all these choices, Right? And, and if you make the wrong one, and if you go this way, and all, all that. And, and he says that as a result, we have all of this freedom, all of this t- autonomy, all of the potential, and yet we're miserable for it. And you know, I can, I can say that. I can even agree with it. I can even tell you stories about the, the melancholy and just the funk in my own life, right? But I still want to be in charge. I mean, how could submitting to someone else possibly be better and I, I think about this with Pilate. I think about this with myself I've, I've shared some of this before uh, with you but when I think about these these kinds of things right when I when I feel that urge within me to be in control to make my own decisions to to disregard whatever this says and do what I think is best for my life I, I always got to wrestle with the question well which if I want to be in charge of my life which version of me do I want to be in charge of my life Again, maybe maybe you've heard me talk about this before. Um, There's lots of versions of of Nathan, just as there are lots of versions of you, because we're always changing, growing, you know. We're just becoming different people all the time. And at every point in my life, I thought for sure, I've got what it takes. I should call the shots in my own life. And so looking back, when I put this guy in charge, adorable, right? (laughs) You know it's true. But seven-year-old me, are you kidding? I thought, I thought I had what it takes, right, to be in charge, to be able to call the, the shots in my life. But at the end of the day, my life was built on Legos and candy and maybe, maybe the original Nintendo. That's, that's about it. And so would I, would I put this guy in charge of my life? No. I mean, you'd be insane, right? What about, you know, move forward 10 years, okay? Huh? Huh? Ladies... Kelly uh, affectionately refers to that as the poof hairstyle. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, 17 years old. I certainly, at that moment, didn't think I needed anybody. That I had it all figured out. That I could make every decision on my own. And I was in impetuous, self-centered, hormone crazed, and probably just a little bit weird. Right? It's kind of obvious, right? I mean, that, that was that was me. Would I want that guy in charge of my life again? Would I let him call the shots? No. Well, what about this dummy? This was just a couple years ago. (laughs) No! You don't put anybody in charge who's willing to jump out of an airplane. It's a bad idea. Don't do it. So now, though, okay? So now I'm 35. And let me let you in on a little secret. I'm pretty proud of what I got going on over here. Um, I have officially, finally, completely arrived. Because once again, I'm convinced Who should be calling the shots in my life? Me. Who knows what Nathan needs, what my family needs? Who knows the direction I want? I do. I know what I want, and I want to get it. I know what's going to make me happy and what's going to keep me safe, and I want to go out, and I want to grab it, because I'm in charge, because I know better. (laughs) But I have a hunch. I say all that. Thank you, Wally. You can follow. I think that was Wally. Uh, Yeah, it sounded like Wally. There you are. Uh, Smart Alec. He's the guy who, who told me when um, they put me in charge of planting this campus uh, that he was terrified. So um, <laughs> appreciate that. appreciate that. Um, I've grown a little bit since then, I think. Uh, maybe. Um, okay, so you know, I could say all that, and I could say now is the time. Now I finally got it, and I can call the shots in my life. But I have a hunch, right? Because I can look back at every other Nathan and think, that guy, he didn't know what he was doing. And I have a hunch that 50-year-old Nathan is going to look at this idiot and have some choice words, Right? I wouldn't want myself in charge later. And yet, we're convinced, aren't we? And yet, if, if, and I realize this is a big if for some of us, if there is someone who made me, and who loves me more than I love myself, if you can believe that, who knows me better than I know me, who knows the, the beginning, middle, and end of my story, if that person exists, and where is their freedom? Trusting me? We're trusting him. There are plenty of ways to be enslaved. There's only one way to be set free. Okay, one more. Still following so far? We are doing okay? So to just to recap, Pilate, he's free from the constraints of truth, right? Whatever works. But he's a slave to the crowds and he's a slave to being his own highest authority. And only truth can set us free from these shackles. And truth also frees us from the abuse of power. It's hard to actually even say that with a straight face, isn't it? I mean, because if you turn on the news, if you know anything about about world history, everybody knows absolute truth claims lead to an abuse of power. It's one of the reasons why relativism is so in vogue, right? Because we see the way it's abused. We see the violence and the oppression all over our world of the powerful flaunting their version of the truth. Christians do it. Muslims do it. Atheists do it. And so we have Pilate. He rejects truth, whatever works, right? And how does that work out for Pilate? Oh, pretty, pretty good, actually. Keeps his job, lives his life, does his thing. But Jesus gets nailed to a cross, right? The one guy with the earthly power to do anything to stop this injustice has, has no basis to even call it Unjust. With, without any, any sense of truth, there's no basis. There's, there's no rational safeguard against oppression. And so h- how can you say that it's wrong to oppress women? I, I agree with you. But without truth grounded somewhere, just, there's no legs for us. And I realize some of you, you're still like, but Nathan, come on. We, we all know, right? Absolute truth claims lead to violence. And you know what? I will be the first to agree with you. You're absolutely right and there's a good chance it'll destroy our world one day as we get more and more isolated, more and more polarized. But relativism also leads to the abuse of power. And we see it with Pilate. I mean, if you know some of the accusations that have been hurled against Woody Allen in, in even just this recent year, right, of child abuse, uh, we, we see it all over. And you, you can even go broader, right? You can think about people like Stalin and Hitler. And it's really, it's Nietzsche's will to power, right? It Claims that truth, claims that no truth. It doesn't really matter in some ways. Everything leads, at least potentially, to taking from the weak. Every claim leads to abuse. Every claim but one. Because what if, what if our truth, what I, I personally believe is the truth, what if he dies for his enemies? What if the one person who has all power, who has every right to destroy those who are seeking to destroy him, what if he cries out, Father, forgive them? Because we have blown it. Of course we have. We've taken, as Christians, we've, we've abused, we've judged, just like all the rest, but this is the only truth that might possibly lead elsewhere. I mean, it's the only, the only truth claim that can possibly lead to love and acceptance of, of people who are, are different from us, who disagree with us, even people who would love to destroy us, who want nothing more than to see us completely annihilated. It's only here that we learn to reject violence and the abuse of power and the demand of our own rights because we worship a God who gladly dies for his enemies. We I mean, just compare Jesus and Pilate in the story. Compare Jesus with, with the crowds. The only one who's free in this story freely walks to his own death to rescue his enemies. People like us who would destroy him if we could. And if this is truth, real truth, then what do we do about it? Well, there are three things that jump out at me. Three, three simple next steps for all of us, regardless of, of where you are age-wise or your faith journey. Three things. First, seek the truth. Never, never get tired of seeking the truth. It's easy maybe for some of us if, if you've been a Christian a long time and think, ah, I've got, it, I've got it figured out, right? We don't need to, to learn or grow anymore. We've got it, we've got it down. And, and the reality is we never, we never arrive. We, we continue to grow, continue to learn, continue to seek after truth. And if you're not a Christian or, or kids, students, uh, when you get to that point of beginning to make your faith your own, you've got to ask yourself, am I honestly, humbly seeking truth, pursuing it? Or would I prefer to hide from it? Do I I even want these things to be true? For all of us, regardless of who we are, we've got to begin here, seek the truth. We can't end there, though, because we have to submit to the truth. All of us can't just sort of stay in the realm of of theory, right? Um, We we like it in the realm of theory. It's safer that way. It's a little bit easier. We can just check a few boxes, and I believe this, I don't believe that, and everything's good and, and, and fine. But if there is something truly true in this world, then we fight against it against our own peril. I mean, for example, if I were to, to climb up to the top of a skyscraper and scream at the top of my lungs, there is no such thing as gravity. And then do my, my very best Superman impression, you know, jump off. I'm going to smash myself on the truth of gravity, right? I'll be crushed. And the reality is that's, that's what happens when we break any of God's laws. You can't break God's laws. We break ourselves on God's laws. Only in in submission to one who knows us and loves us, only there could there possibly be freedom. Because I've tried to be my own master. I've tried a lot, actually. And maybe I'm just worse at it than you are. But at this point, I'm I'm tired of it. I'm tired of where it leads, to disappointment and disillusionment, to, to craving more things that never actually satisfy. I'm sick of it. But if there is someone who loves me enough to die for me, and he's powerful and victorious enough to come back to life for me, then I'm with him. Why not try letting him call the shots in your life for a while? And I know it's a paradox, freedom, submission, it's hard to even imagine those two words in the same sentence, right? And yet the reality is, at this point, it feels a whole lot better than whatever works. And finally, last one here, share the truth. Because truth this good cannot be kept to itself. It can't. And and you know, we we Christians, uh, we are often accused of being hypocrites, right? It's because in large part we're hypocrites, right? I mean, you do know that, right? We earn most of that uh, reputation, Because because we have blown it, we have, and and Christians have done terrible, if you know church history, we've done terrible things in the name of Jesus. Violence and oppression, without a doubt, we have blown it. We have much to confess and to repent over. But every truth claim, even the truth claim that there is no truth claims, every one leads us to feeling superior to to another person. I mean, because even even if your philosophy is whatever works, right, and you just take a relativistic approach, it sounds... Good, it sounds humble, it sounds open to to others, but the reality, the, the underlining thing that you're saying is that every other culture in history, every other philosophy and religion and worldview since the history of the world began was wrong, but I've got it right now. I, me, you know, again, wealthy, Western, educated, I've arrived at it. Every truth claim can lead us to feeling superior Every truth claim but one. Which I know sounds a little bit superior to me saying that, right? I'm sorry about that. And I hope this, I hope this message. I hope you don't take it that way as you've heard this. Well, Nathan just thinks that, you know, we've got it all figured out and, you know, truth and we've got our own handle on it and pride and arrogance. But no, no, listen, listen, because where we're going here, this is so important. Every other truth claim leads to abuse of power. Everyone but this one, because our truth. I mean, think about it. The very center of our faith, the thing that we claim to and cling to the most is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. If anything, the truth claims of Christianity, they don't make us superior to others. It makes us down here. Because if anything, we are a people, as Christians, we are a self-selecting group of people that say, I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. I can't save myself, I can't find my own way, I, I don't know how to achieve the best life. That's what it means to be a Christian, to humble ourselves in, in such a way. And so, so yes, if, if somebody says you're a hypocrite, well, you're right, I'm a hypocrite. And if you're in those, those conversations with somebody, maybe you're sharing your faith and that's sort of the accusation, but aren't Christians just a bunch of hypocrites? Don't, don't run from that, don't hide from it, own it. Yes, we are. But Jesus died for hypocrites we, we don't claim to have everything together. We don't claim to have it all figured out. We claim to know a God who has come to rescue people like me, people who, who can't do anything but admit that we're broken. That's who we are as Christians. We are nothing if not a people who cling to a cross that screams out, this was the only way God could rescue us, the only way that he could rescue me. So yes, Yes, we change. Yes, we grow. Absolutely repent. And, and, and Jesus, when he rescues us, he doesn't leave us to stay in, in the, the filth of which we were. He's always calling us out to a, to a better life. But if this, if this is our story, if this is our truth, then it's worth sharing. I mean, a, a truth wrapped in humility and love is worth passing on. It's what our desperate and violent world needs. Because we know that whatever works doesn't work. We've tried it. Pilot tried it. Woody Allen's tried it. You and I try it. Yeah, probably about every day. It doesn't work. There's lots of ways to be a slave. There's only one way to be set free. And this morning we get to enter in to this story. To sort of act it out together. Don't freak out. Okay. I'm not we're going, to, we're going to celebrate communion, which is a reenacting of these things that we've been talking about, that we're going to gather around this table, and we don't come. This isn't a table for the satisfied. It's, it's not a table for those who have it all together, who've got it figured out. It is a table for the starving, that our God has given his, his life for us, and that we get a taste of that here in this moment. So when we come, come with, with humility, come hungry, come to say, this this is... This is what God has done for me to rescue me. If, if you're newer here, let me just kind of explain how we do it. We've got four uh, places you can, you can take the community. two tables up here in the front and two also uh, in the back. And we're going to take our time this morning. There's no rush. We're going to sing uh, three songs. And at any, any point during the rest of the service, make your way to one of those stations um, and, and come and take and eat, savor as if, as if you're starving, as if you really know how desperate you are, that this is what our God has done for us. Before we come, why don't we take just a minute, just to quiet ourselves, to, to maybe repent, if that's where you need to spend some time. Um, maybe just to pray, to ask God to show you who he is. So let's do that now, and then whenever you're ready, come.